0: It's not up to me to determine whether or not my kids are going to claim Jesus Christ as their Savior, but it is my responsibility to teach them and guide them and point them in that direction. But I've got to be in prayer all the time for my kids because God is ultimately the one that's going to change their hearts and help them to see with spiritual eyes and to hear with spiritual ears and to know what the truth is. And the way to do that is to be in prayer all the time for your kids.
1: And welcome to Family Life Today. Thanks for joining us on the Thursday edition of our broadcast. One of the challenges that is before us as we raise teenagers is to try to steer them past the traps that have been laid for them. We've been talking about those traps over the last week and a half with material that comes from a book by Dennis and Barbara Rainey called Parenting, Today's Adolescent. And yesterday, Dennis, we started looking at one of the most significant traps that is laid for our children it's significant because it really deals with
2: the core issue of how our children are going to turn out. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's the trap of uh, false gods, and it means that we as parents have to, to be involved in our children's lives, challenging them to cling, to depend upon, to trust, and to know, and to get involved in the process of growing in a relationship with the true God. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, that means that we as parents – have to have our own set of convictions if we're going to pass this on to our children.
1: Barbara, welcome back to the studio. What's at stake here is uh, the possibility, and we've seen some of these kids as adults, kids who are articulate, intelligent, they're sharp, they know what they're doing, but they have no spiritual center. Those kinds of people can wind up bringing destruction in their wake because they don't have a source at the core of their life for what they're all about.
0: That's really true. And kids aren't going to pick that up unless they're steered that direction. They're not going to naturally gravitate toward trusting God on their own mm-hmm. unless unless we as parents point them to the Lord in situation after situation in their lives. And there are countless uh, circumstances that moms and dads have to use where we can point them and say, the Lord is in control, or let's pray about this, or whatever it might be, but bringing God into everything that's going on in their lives so that they understand that He wants to be the center of their lives.
2: You know, I couldn't agree more. I think sometimes we forget a very basic assumption, and that's this. God created the family. He is the originator. He designed it. And who is He? He is spiritual. Spiritual. He is spirit. He's truth. He's a lot of other things. But it's it's at this point where you take a, a physical family of people and where the spiritual dimension of life must be a part of the fabric of that family. And so to those moms and dads who listen to our broadcast on a daily basis, who are slugging it out in the trenches – All those little things you're teaching your children along the way to be obedient to God, to practice His presence, to obey Him, to to, to get in the Scriptures, to learn to pray, you're training your child about how to live life as God designed it. And as you live life in front of them, showing them how it's done— that's the most powerful way that you can teach your children. And then as the teenagers are so pivotal in this. I
1: remember a youth group I was a part of when I was in high school and it was popular. There were probably 70 to 100 kids coming every week for this youth group. And then I remember looking back 5 years later and I was uh-huh. by the grace of God still walking with him. Right. But most of the people who'd been part of that group had gone on to other interests. This is a, a critical time that really shapes whether we're going to be about the Lord's business for the rest of our life or not.
2: Uh, over the years, Barbara and I have done a lot of writing. I don't know that we have spent as much time on any single book as much as we spent on this one. Mm-hmm. And the reason is, is the word you just mentioned, Bob, pivotal. Adolescence is a pivotal transition of life. And for, um, for us as parents, we've got to realize that the job's not done. I've I've seen this um, in the eyes of parents at our Family Life Parenting Conferences around the United States. A lot of parents think by the time their child is 13, 14, 15, or 16, it's over. It's done. It's finished. It's not, though. It is absolutely not done. In fact, I believe the teenage years give us one of the most profound windows. Just like you said, Bob, it's that pivotal time where parents must seize the opportunity, these last days and hours you spend with that teen before they're off on their own, and you do lose your influence at mm-hmm. that point. So so uh, these hours that we're spending on this particular subject here on our broadcast Uh, come because we believe so strongly that parents today need to be equipped and encouraged in the process of – of finishing the task of raising the next generation of young people. Barbara,
1: I remember talking to a couple. They're adults now and have children of their own. But in their teenage years, they rebelled. They became prodigals. They were raised in a a Christian home, and yet they completely checked out of anything spiritual for a number of years and at great cost to them. And I remember asking them, what was it? that pressed you away. And it was interesting. They cited uh, religious hypocrisy. And one of the things that you've done in the book, Parenting Today's Adolescent, is you have, you've talked about convictions that parents need to have uh, as the foundation for what they try to impart to their children. If they don't have some convictions established, then they're not going to be able to authentically uh, pass anything along.
0: Well, I agree, Bob, and I think it's so important for moms and dads to know what they believe on their own. And there are obviously going to be questions that we have, and we're not going to be 100% confident as parents about what we're passing on to our kids. But to me, that points out the necessity of moms and dads being dependent on God. And the way to do that is to be in prayer all the time for your kids because it's not up to me to determine whether or not my kids are going to claim Jesus Christ as their Savior But it is my responsibility to teach them and guide them and point them in that direction. But I've got to be in prayer all the time for my kids because God is ultimately the one that's going to change their hearts and help them to see with spiritual eyes and to hear with spiritual ears and to know what the truth is so that they will then choose on their own to embrace it. So one of the convictions that Dennis and I have is that it's so important for us as parents of our kids, to be firmly uh, dependent on God in prayer for that out, that spiritual outcome that we desire in our kids lives
2: mm-hmm. yeah and and that really leads to another conviction that we have that we as parents need to set Jesus Christ apart in our lives as Savior and Lord, and we need to decide who we 're going to serve uh, over in Deuteronomy chapter six, as the nation of Israel was being formed. Um, Verse 4, God says to them, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. The message there is that we... We have to possess the real disease. We have to have an infectious relationship with Christ, a growing relationship with Christ, if we're going to pass him on and pass on the reality of Christianity. Christianity is not a bunch of rules and regulations. It's not just a bunch of boundaries. Christianity is a relationship with the God who created the heavens and the universe. We have through the blood of Jesus Christ, a relationship with him, an ability to walk with him, know him, and experience him. That's the key, experience him. And so as we pass on Christianity to our children, it's not just the dogma and the doctrine of Scripture that we pass on. Although we need to be passing on dogma and doctrine and truth to our children, no, it's also an experience of God, as Barbara was talking about, that comes through prayer and a, your own vital relationship with Christ where you're talking about what he's doing in your life and how he's answering your prayers. Now, that really ties to one of the
1: other convictions that you list in the book, which is that your, your walk with Christ has got to be the same in private as it is in public. It's back to that issue of integrity versus hypocrisy.
0: Yeah, that's right, because if we say one thing and do another— our kids are going to see right through it, especially teenagers. They are so uh, capable of seeing hypocrisy because they've not, they've not mastered how to do that. And I think that they're just much more in tune to what's real and what's not real. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a better help for our kids if they see that we really live the Christian life and that we do make mistakes and we ask for forgiveness when we make mistakes. And we're not trying to be perfect. I think some parents think that we have to perfectly live the, Christian life before our children, so they'll be convinced that it's true, and then they'll want it. Right. But it's not the perfection of our lives that's going to draw our kids to Christ. It's, it's our experiencing Him and seeing God work in our lives that our kids are going to see that it's authentic.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, you have to look at the Bible and, and see who it's written about. It's written about people who failed. There are very few examples in Scripture where there isn't a sin mentioned about their lives. Now, what's God doing in that? I think He's giving us hope that He can use flawed people, People who failed, people who made tragic mistakes before they became a Christian, people who made tragic mistakes after they became a Christian. His grace can meet us at our point of need. His forgiveness is real. Barbara, you've tried to
1: emphasize with your children the foundational aspect of the scriptures. Even as Dennis talked about seeing failure in the lives of biblical characters, you have tried to keep an orientation to where your kids understand that the Word of God takes first place in your life.
0: Well, we've tried, and that's one of those areas where um, I can easily say we've made more mistakes than we've made successes. But I am I, grateful that God's word does not return void; He promises us that. And so, our attempts when our children were little to do Bible memory for a couple of years in a row, uh, I know that that word is in their hearts, even though we didn't do it faithfully for ten years. We did it for a couple of years, and as our kids became teenagers, and we would do some Bible studies with them, and again, it was sporadic. We've not been able to be a hundred percent consistent like we would like to. Be. Be, and yet we're dependent on God to use his word in their hearts and to remind them of what's true and to, to help them to see that we believe that God's word is inspired and inerrant and they need to, to depend on God's word as the guidebook for their lives.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, we believe the Bible. And that may mm-hmm. sound like that, that's kind of trite, but we do. Mm-hmm. We try to, to read it. We try to make decisions by it. We consult it. We live by it. And we call our children to that standard continuously, unapologetically, and we just keep on keeping on.
1: Well, and that whole issue of uh, legacy is one of the other spiritual convictions that you have. In fact, the last two deal with leaving a legacy to the next generation, how we train our own children, and then viewing life as a spiritual mission that we're on uh, in Christ's service.
2: You know, one of the things that I feel so strongly about, I just want to kind of... Hound the table here a bit. I I think one of the things we're really missing with our teenagers today is that we are not challenging them to this mission that God has for them. We're we're just kind of letting them ooze into the culture, just kind of go to school, kind of leave our home. We need to send them. We need to give them a mandate of a mission, and it comes from the Scripture. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that He prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. As Barbara said, God's got a plan for every life. And what teenager doesn't need to know that he is an ambassador for Jesus Christ? He represents Christ today at his school. He needs that to survive the culture. If you don't give your child a sense of that spiritual mission, then he's going to pick up the mission or the direction or the aimlessness of the culture. And that's why as Christian parents, I think we've got to raise the bar. We've got to raise the standard. We've got to get back to the Scripture and what it talks about here of giving our our children a sense that they're investing in eternity, Mm -hmm. not when they become adults someday, not when they grow up and – you know, serve in a church or something. Today, now, they can impact people where they live, their peers, their friends, their school, that going and praying around that flagpole, that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. And that's a part of what God wants for every teenager. Barbara, what have been the
1: elements of your strategy for making sure your kids understand the lordship of Christ, the importance of the scriptures, the, the importance of prayer? Um, having a mission, looking toward the next generation. How have you practically worked that out with your kids?
0: Well, practically, we've done just a lot of stuff at home By, by praying with our kids on a very regular basis, by pointing them to the Scripture in circumstances that they face in their lives, by Uh, reminding them of verses that they know and looking them up with them and doing Bible studies. All of those kinds of things have been a real integral part of our daily life in raising our kids. But we've also been dependent on others and other resources to help our kids catch that vision because I want our kids to know that there are other people besides mom and dad who believe this. We want our kids to see that there are other adults, there are other teenagers, there are other people who believe that following Christ is the ultimate goal in life. Because if they only think that mom and dad do that, they're going, when they begin to think that mom and dad are dumb, they're going to think <laughs> that that's dumb too. Right. So if you can validate your values and your beliefs with other people by exposing your children to other people who have the same values that you do, people that they can admire and look up to and respect – Uh, then that's going to help to reinforce what you're teaching at home. One of the things that we've uh, used, one of the resources we've used, is good Christian conferences for our children. And we've made sure that we've sent our teenagers, uh, not all the time, but at, at, at key points in their lives when we feel like they really need the boost, we've sent them to some really important Christian conferences where they hear the best of the best in speakers. They rub shoulders with lots of other Christian kids, and they begin to think, gosh, I'm not the only one at my school or, or our little bitty group at school of three or four. We're not the only Christians in the world. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to get tunnel vision and to think you're the only one. But when we send our kids to these big conferences and there are around 500 or 1,000 Christian kids that are all praising and worshiping, they all of a sudden their eyes are open and they realize, man, this is, this is real to somebody besides just me. And it gives them courage to go back and to remain strong in their faith.
2: I had a friend who has a teenage son who uh, uh, was wondering about uh, some of these conferences. And he said, should I send my son to, to one of these uh, conferences like you do your children? I said, absolutely. Why don't you allow your son to go with our children? This particular gentleman lived in another part of the country. And so um, he uh, he saved the money to be able to put his, uh, his son on an airplane and meet our children at one of these conferences. And Months later, the dad is still talking about the change that occurred in that young man's life. Now, there is an initial high that has happened in all of our children's Mm -hmm. lives, but I want to tell you something. When they get around these other Christians and share a similar mission, they come out of those conferences with a different opinion of their high school a different way of looking at it and they begin to look at life through God's eyes and that's what we need to do with our children we need to help them view life from God's perspective so they're not just going to school and doing homework and classes but so that they're begin to pray for their school their friends they're praying for the souls of those that uh, uh, they're around every day at school and, and for conversions of other teenagers and, and maybe even uh, teachers and administrators who need to come to faith in Christ as well. Those kinds of
1: experiences really do, as you've talked about, reinforce what you're trying to do as parents at home. They're not a substitute for what mom and dad are are all about. They're, uh, they're kind of the icing on the cake, right? Right.
2: Mm-hmm. And they shouldn't be used as the main course. hmm we shouldn't send our children to one of these conferences hoping that the conference will straighten them out and undo everything that we've failed to do mm-hmm. no it needs to it needs to be a uh in a supportive role mm-hmm. uh, in the in our in our children's lives, and
1: yet as you look back on those times, Barbara, they've been real spiritual markers in your children's lives. To where they even reflect back on on those moments as uh, spiritual milestones, don't they?
0: Yeah, they really do, and it's and it's because we've used them strategically with our kids. We've been purposeful about who goes when they go and which conference they go to. It's not something that we are dependent on. We're not depending on the conference to do something in our kids' lives. We're, we're looking to the conference to supplement what we're already doing at home.
2: It's interesting. I know of a family that makes a strong statement of where their values are and the, the importance of teenagers growing spiritually because that dad has an account, a financial account that he calls God's account, and he puts money in that account that is, it is for the express purpose of his sons and daughters going to these types of spiritual events and conferences. And it's interesting, um, that man raised a daughter who married one of our staff members here at Family Life, and the the husband who got the daughter who grew up in that home said it was really interesting coming into that family and seeing the value that that father placed upon his own children's growth. He said he not only had the, 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 the God account, but when it came time to go to some of those uh, retreats, he even went with them, and he said, even at 50 years of age, he said, I watched him go on a ski retreat mm-hmm. with his daughter so that he could be a part of her spiritual growth and uh, even learn to ski at 50. And he said it was ugly, it was, <laughs> was, was real ugly. But the statement he was making to his children, I want to be a part of your life, and this is important, even if it means sacrificing something else.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, once again, if our objective as parents is to steer our kids away from false gods, We've got to make sure we know how to steer them to the real God, and that presupposes that we know who the real God is and that we're following him ourselves.
2: Yeah, and we've, uh, we've shared this many times on our broadcast. The first Christmas, we were married back in 1972. Before we gave any gifts to each other, Barbara and I got in separate rooms in our little home there where we lived in Boulder, Colorado, and we wrote out a title deed of our lives giving God ownership, of anything we had at that point and anything we ever hoped to have as individuals and as a couple. And I look back, Bob, to that spiritual decision of setting Christ apart as Lord of our lives and giving Him ownership, yielding the the title deed of our lives to Him as uh, the beginning point of raising teenagers.